Welcome to the Long Come Norwich podcast. Fine football fair for the fine city football fan. A feast of fun as we're unfamiliar with failing in a particular fixture for 14 years and still counting. It's just me and Punt today. Let's get at it. Was that a lesser spotted glimpse of pride I spotted amongst the Carey faithful this weekend? I think, oh God, it was such a weird game, wasn't it? Because we all went in there thinking that the inevitable was about to happen. <laughs> Let's get this really clear. Ipswich fans definitely thought the inevitable was about to happen, you know, given the level of antics that they'd um, they'd conjured up pre-match. Well, it was a I, cup final. It was ridiculous. I, the, a friend of mine's Facebook post, so I am friends with a scummer, and he on his Facebook post, he had used the hashtag our time as if you know, you like, be, it was a, can you be can you ever really truly be friends with a binner like I mean, is it actually physically possible he's he is a lovely boy um so they really really did think it was their time didn't they like you know fucking hell just coming up with that hashtag on your own was, was <laughs> all time. sorts of ridiculousness um but it was a really weird game because it is very clear like abundantly clear Ipswich are streets ahead of us in terms of being, you know, cohesive, organised, playing a brand of football that's easy on the eye. Um, but we were, when you come back to the, your original question about, you know, was there some pride there? Yeah, there absolutely was because we were dogged, we were obdurate, we really dug in when we needed to dig in and we rode their initial kind of 25, 30 minute storm. And then we came back with a little bit of, of, our own, I wouldn't say decent play, but actually it was, there was fight. And I think that sometimes that's all you want to see as a football fan is that they're really trying and they're really applying themselves. But there was also some great performances to speak of as well. And I'm, I can't remember the last time that I watched the Norwich City side and I was like, oh, actually, he was brilliant or she was brilliant. You know, well, actually, no, there's plenty of times that you can do that with a women's team. But you know, the, the men's team, it was like, I mean, how good was Shane Duffy on Saturday? How yeah, good super. was was Gabrielle Sarah? Uh, you know, how good were all of them really? You know, in terms of their application, it was fantastic to watch in that regard, and hilarious to watch in so much as they are streets ahead of us, and they still can't really lay a proper glove on us. And I just love all the oh well, well, well we didn't really want to win anyway. And actually, look, look, we're twenty one points ahead of you. Yeah, fine, lads. Like you have that, have whatever you want. But the bragging rights remain in Norfolk, and it is quite delicious. As the commentator said, they're still in our shadow when it comes to this fixture. Um, and I think there's there's two things I want to pick up on there. The, the first one is the performances. So if you go through the team, Gunn made a huge save, uh, which I I do think he should have done. I think he was very culpable for their second goal. Uh, he takes a, a completely unnecessary step to the left um, as Burns, was it? Um, yeah. Dickhead uh, is lining up to uh, shoot into the corner. The ball goes, I actually, as it happened, I've got my dad here today and he hadn't seen the highlights yet. So I watched the highlights with him this morning. Um, we're recording this on on Monday, uh, Nodgecasters, and he doesn't even get the ball. It's not even nearly in the corner. It's not in the ne- nearly inside the post, which I thought in real time. Obviously, I didn't watch the replay live. Um, and uh, the uh, the step that Gunn takes, he will want. He, you know, you know that, that sort of phrase. He'll want that one back. 
he really would want another crack at that because that th- he needed far less goalkeeping skills to save that goal than he did the one that he saved afterwards. But fair play to Gunn. I thought he came and uh, wasted time just the right amount. Like I think he um, went long and passed short just the right amount. Um, and then across the back four, McCallum looked rusty to start with, but then really grew into the game. And I thought stood up to their kind of antics really, really well. Stacey, I thought, had maybe his game of the season from a defensive point of view. I mean, he really did send them inside at the right time. He was on the on the wrong end of some yellow card challenges, which the referee, I thought, played an absolute blinder. Um, he, I mean, I can't remember a derby being refereed that well in terms of, you know, he really did let everything go. There was nothing, there was nothing at red card level. But, you know, once he let Barnes kick their goalkeeper, um, you know, when he was chasing down a, a ball early, I thought, well, he's either going to be very, very biased in our favour if that's not a yellow, or he's going to be like this the whole way through the game. And he was. I think it was two bookings in the whole game. Um, and there could have been a lot more than that. It had to, had a referee tried to get on top of it early, you know, the, the, the needle in the game would have, could have got, got, got worse. Duffy, I think you're right, was absolutely fantastic. Um, McLean gave the ball away for just before the corner for the goal. Um but again, other than that, he's similar to Gunn. He did so much right that you kind of forgive him that. Um, going across the midfield, Sarah was superb. I thought Nunez's positioning was really, really disciplined. I thought the two of them, bearing in mind that they would both rather be 30 yards forward up the pitch, you know, it's probably one of amongst our least defensive midfields we've ever put out, Sarah and Nunez getting this run of the team together. Um, you know, they're all about technical ability, but the positioning, when you look a lot of the time that, yes, we were parking the bus because, you know, you know, tactically, that's what we had to do to get a result on, on Saturday uh, lunchtime. Um, I thought the two of them did brilliantly, um, shuffling left and right and being disciplined and knowing when to go and when not to go. Um, I thought Edith was starved of any real service, but did look like he could hold the ball up when he got the opportunity to. And whilst Barnes, yes, again, was at fault for the second goal and, to your point on Duffy, my favourite thing probably of the whole weekend was Duffy marching towards Barnes. You see it on the replay. As soon as as soon as the goal goes in the second one, Duffy is just screaming at Barnes. He's already got his hand on his head. So he, he knows it. He, he, he mucked up. But I thought generally Barnes you know, did what you needed from a sort of nasty striker. You know, We're not going to have a lot of the ball. Let's be a nuisance. Let's stand on a few people's feet. Let's be unpleasant. So, you know, I, I honestly thought it was a, a really prideful performance. And to pick up on your other point around them being streets ahead, they, they are much easier on the eye than us. But I do think a huge amount of it is confidence rather than quality in the squad. And now we've seen all but one or all but two teams. They're not the second best team we've played um, in, in, in this league so far. Um, and I, with over half the season gone, I'm more confident today than I have been at any other point that Leeds and or Southampton will finish above them. That's quite the claim. Quite the claim. Not Um, with half the season left. It's a three-game swing out of 24 games remaining. It's it's not exactly going to take a massive breakdown for them to be caught. I think it would really surprise me if... I I think with Ipswich... You could tell that they were they were incredibly well coached. They're clearly a team that is um, bigger than the or greater than the sum of its parts. Because you know th- these lads, I think maybe the Sky commentators even described a couple of them as like League Two players who, who McKenna has gelled into you know just just being really good and efficient at, at what they're doing. 
I think that's fair. But they're a team and they have a philosophy and they they just know exactly what they're doing. And, and what impressed me actually with them as well is that they they seem to be fairly interchangeable in that regard. So, you know, they, they made substitutions and, and I thought that those players came in and, and did well. And that was at a point where Norwich were going into their shell and they were really... I mean, it was backs against the walls for the last 20 minutes without Ipswich really creating anything meaningful. But I don't know. I, I think the occasion got to Ipswich, but I, I could see enough of them to think, yeah, do you know what? I think they're still going to be top two. And the gap that has already emerged and the fact that Southampton and Leeds are are still a little bit in and out in terms of their form, I, I, I don't think they'll catch them. Um, Southampton are unbeaten in twelve. That's not in it. If that's in and out on form, my goodness me, I'd like to okay. see a form team. Well, that's fair. Um, well, it, I think the form table for the last six games prior to the derby match was Ipswich were top of it, and we were second for the last. Oh six yeah, games. No, don't so, don't get me wrong. They're they're playing with with with, with extreme amount of confidence, and yes, they're almost guaranteed playoffs. However, uh, I'm just talking about the actual ability of some of the players we've seen and some of the teams we've seen. The, the, I just think the, it's such a huge drop off, though, to for them to you yeah, know it's only it, 10, points. Let's, ten, just, ten points over twenty four games. But the doable. second, the second best championship start ever, and the first best was Leicester's this season as well. So prior to this season, the best start there has ever been in the championship. I just don't expect them to drop the ball. We'll uh, see. You know, well, we'll see. And, and we will uh, see. And I would look. I would Kevin Keegan it if they did that. You know, I would. Well, I would, you know, part of me, but I don't know. Part of me after I I didn't I I didn't want them to go up, um, but part of me quite fancies watching them getting Burnley every week. I quite fancy them being absolutely humiliated and coming down because I've managed to I haven't watched a minute of Ipswich this season because they haven't played us, so there's been no reason reason to. Um, so I'm quite good at ignoring uh, all sorts in the world, but particularly scum. Um, and I would I would quite enjoy just tuning into the match of the days when they get battered, um, knowing already that that, that that happened. And and I'm not I don't have to watch a parade, and that does it doesn't bother me. And also I I don't I don't want to deny other humans nice things as long as it doesn't impact us. If you see what I mean, because I can easily mm. just not look at Twitter on the day they get promoted and the two or three days after, because I don't care. Point is. They can't, the thing that we've got agency over, the thing that we own, the thing that's important to us, and I, this became clear over the weekend, is um, this kind of, un, the unbeaten element in the uh, in the derby, that's the thing that is spectacularly important to maintain. And if they end up going up, but we get a draw or better at Carrow Road, I, I'm fine with that because I can just switch off and not have to, you know, follow them being kind of... Uh, you know, successful elsewhere, but I, I think there's enough good teams in the championship to 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 draw them down. I think it'll be an interesting kind of title race from that point of view. But but getting back to us, um, one of the things that I think is a really interesting thing to talk about is last time we 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 chatted, and you know we haven't been as frequent as we would have liked to have been, listeners. But you know, diaries and life, um, and it's free, so shush. Um, is Wagner? So last time we talked, Wagner, we were like, why is he still here? I mean, I sort of still feel the same in that I still don't think I've seen anything tactically um, or style of football that to change that mind. But he, he can't be sacked based on the results at the moment. It so we are so, in this weird sort of limbo. Yeah, that's well, that's exactly the word I was going to use. It, it is limbo because 
everything that Ben Napper has said at the AGM that we've seen and, and you know the early media that he did and all right that was in-house so we only saw a limited view without much scrutiny but all of this is like right well actually he wants progressive you know free flow not necessarily free-flowing but attractive to watch football um you know and something that supporters can buy into and I, I just look if if it's this for the next couple of seasons under Wagner we'll bob around we'll finish 11th 12th or somewhere between 10th and 16th no 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 no. This, this, with a fully fit squad I still think this is a this is a uh a 6th to 12th team all right well we, you know 16 there's no we way can, have you we, seen the dross in this league there is no way yeah yeah no and i think we're, we're among it i think no, we're among we're it not, we're not a bottom eight team all right mate well look, you know you, team. I'm, I'm saying anywhere between 10th and 16th um i don't think we're great i think we're we're poorly coached i think that we are trying to now be hard to beat rather than anything else and i don't think that's sustainable over a longer term period i think that Supporters will get bored of it quickly, and I don't think it's what Ben Napper wants for this football club. So, you know, we've we've seen and heard from uh, Mark Atanasio, we've heard from Delia and Michael in terms of like Ben Napper is he's making an assessment, almost like undertaking a full audit of the football club and saying, right, and he's going to report back to to the board and go, this is where we're at, this is how I think we should move forward, and a pillar of that is to to perhaps freshen up the squad and bring in some younger faces. But I don't know, these, these are the guys that Wagner probably picked. And if he didn't, you know, then he was certainly in the room when they were being picked. I just don't see how he forms any sort of part of, of a longer term strategy with, with Norris City. But yet yeah, you're right. You can't do anything with him now. The, the guy has, what, got four wins out of seven games, probably lost one of those maybe. So the form is is decent and if you aggregate that over a season would be plenty you know can have enough playoffs but yet you get the overriding sense when you look at performances that we're not very good and you know I, th- I thought that was evident again on Saturday there's loads to be proud of but actually if we were the Norwich of maybe the first three or four games I think we could have gone at Ipswich and I think Ipswich there was a certainly there was a fragility at the back with them that you know led me to believe that that we could get at them again it's only we only really conjured up three, maybe four like proper moments. And it, it was a bit of a you know snatch and grab kind of draw that we got there. Brilliant that we got it. By the way, I'm 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 not in any way, way demeaning the achievement of getting the draw because it it's you know it was funny. Um, but is this a team and is this a club that I can see that is moving in the right direction? Not really. I just, as I say, I think it's going to be that we bob along and that this season will peter out. And I just can't see us anywhere near the playoffs. Um, I know, you know, maybe you can with a, a fully fit Josh Sargent coming back, but I think he's going to take at least six weeks to probably get up to any sort of sharpness. So, you know, by then you'll be talking about middle to latter part of, of February. So it just, it feels like there's, there's an inertia uh, around it at the moment and we probably will go through if we stick with Wagner probably go through another run where we have you know five or six games without a win and then we might go on another little run where you know we we put a bit of form together Wagner has been incredibly fortunate with the teams that we've played over the last 
six or seven games with, with the exception of Ipswich in so much as none of them have really been that good. Um, and all right, you could argue that that's the championship, but I would argue that we're probably going to come into a run of games at some point without looking at the fixtures where, you know, we'll have, I don't know, a Leeds and a Southampton within the space of four or five games. And then Leicester will, will you know, we'll have to rock up to, to Leicester. It, it just feels temporary. And I don't know if I can get on board with that longer term. And I think the wider part of that, I know it's something that, that you mentioned to me on, on WhatsApp the other day, is it feels temporary for a lot of people. And I think if if we carry on like this, there is still like, you know, well, we put the the euphoria, that's probably a you know, kind of a, a really over the top way to describe Saturday, but if we put that to one side and, and we just kind of step back a bit, there is still a general apathy around the football club. There is still this sense of drift. And I think supporters are feeling that. And you look at the the Sheffield Wednesday match, what do you reckon? Three and a half, four thousand spare seats there, maybe? It it was ridiculous. I've never maybe seen more. a road like maybe, it for a league maybe, game. Yeah, maybe more. I, I I'd be surprised if it was tw- more than twenty one. I mean, uh, noticeably, it was actually the because the city stand's been been basically been pretty sparse since it's been cold, which is fair hmm. enough and, and kind of happens regularly. But all, <laughs> but but um, but also um, the Norwich and Peterborough. I mean, that was really sparse on Wednesday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, whenever it was. Hang on, which stand are you referring to? Is the Norwich and Peterborough now? Uh, is that not the Riverend? <laughs> it's the Regency Security Stand. Oh, for fuck's sake. Riverend. <laughs> I just had to, I just had to get you to remind me which stand that is. So the, so the, the Riverend, we all know what that means. Let's just stick with that. Yeah, yeah. Let's um, go there. So the Riverend was really patchy, uh, top mm. and bottom on on um, on Wednesday, and yeah, six stand has been. Uh, it was a it was a really bizarre reaction to the the preceding game, where you could audibly hear yawns during that nil nil. And everyone just sort of, at the final whistle, there was the tiniest one and a half seconds of boo from those who were cross. But the majority just stood up and just quietly walked to the end of the row and walked down the steps and just turned their back and just went home because it just sort of felt like, ugh. I mean, that's, you know, could have been doing the Christmas shopping, you know, could have been cleaning the car, could have could have done a couple of dump runs, <laughs> you know, could, mm-hmm. could have trimmed the hedge could have put that Christmas reef up on the wall I've been meaning to, which I finally got around to yesterday. You know, it is just, um, it was so, the apathy was, I, I like you said, never seen Caro like for Lique. I've never heard a final whistle with that, met with that kind of apathy. I mean, it's just mm. like, oh, that happened, did it? Oh. Whereas it was better on Wednesday because the performance was better and there were obviously there were goals and I, you know, Sheffield Wednesday brought, I think Sheffield Preston were trying to stop the the three game losing streak by parking the bus. I mean, you know, Scum thought we parked the bus on Saturday. My goodness me! I mean, Preston were literally just like <laughs> daren't move across yeah. their halfway line, and, and we didn't have the quality to to break. Yeah, they still hit the bar, you know, and well, had Gibbs, a fairly well, decent well, Gibbs chance. And, Gibbs and Eda should we should have been, you know, we should have been out of sight. Gibbs and Eda missed yeah. two two really good chances, but uh, I wonder if that's why Gibbs didn't make it on on Saturday because he was he, he was being punished for missing the sitter. But the um the the really the really good thing on the Sheffield Wednesday game was it, it it was actually a bit of a jolly atmosphere and it did send us off into the derby feeling like you never know there there might be a chance and. You know, I've I've been humming and hawing about my my season ticket 
Um, you know, I have two and they are in the place in the ground where there's no concessions. So the fact that my son is, you know, under 16 is, is irrelevant. Um, and it is, it is painful seeing that money leave the account every, every month for the quality or lack of that I am watching. And I've, you know, I've, I've spoken, you know, cost of living crisis. No one's got as much money in their pocket as they used to have irrelevant of what job they're in or what they've done. We're all, we are all feeling the pinch. Um, and you know, we're all in the same storm or in different boats. I appreciate that. And the pinch is therefore worse in, in some places. It's a punch, but I'm just asking and talking to my wife about this. Am I, am I renewing in February because there's been someone from my family going to the football since Carrow Road was started hosting Norwich City games? You know, I've had, this is my 30th or 31st season ticket, you know, and then my dad before me and my granddad before him, the same side of the ground watching this football team. Is that why I'm going? And is that worth the, um, you know, £1,200 a year plus getting into the city plus food, drink, all the rest of it. And then, you know, not, not before you even count, you know, going away, you know, I've only managed to get to, to Fulham this year, but you know, is it worth it? And Saturday reminded me that you only need, even when we don't play very well, and even when you're celebrating a draw rather than a win, that, that kind of tradition and that history and that, muscle memory of being a Norwich fan and being part of this the community of this football club and that tallied with you know there's a, there's a Norwich there's several Norwich fans struggling lots of people struggle at this time of year but there's you know one Norwich fan who's being quite open about some some kind of mental health struggles that they're having and the support that you see them receiving on social media those things combined this weekend made me think well yeah yeah actually that tradition and that pride and that uh being part of the community and that sense of belonging and that being this is what we do even if it is as dirge, dire, dreadful as this in February, yeah, probably am renewing because it's just such a huge part of my identity. But I don't think I would blame anyone more so than ever, unless they, you know, if you have a huge change in financial circumstances, no one could ever criticise you for stopping any outgoing payment. But any, even people who haven't financially changed their circumstances. I don't think you could blame them at all for just doing something else with their Saturday afternoons. And that's the, that's the risk that kind of the, the when, when Napa presents his audit, goodness knows how long it's going to take him. It's not that big a place, Colney. Um, like once he presents his audit, surely the commercial people at the club need to also sort of present back to him that, look, actually the thing you're presiding over has a huge impact on whether or not we sell many tickets in February. Um, there's not going to be a waiting list. I'll tell you that for nothing. I'm not even sure if there's a waiting list now. I think, you know, like I went on the way, or my two children went on the waiting list and within three weeks, I think, had been offered a, you know, a half season ticket. This was kind of halfway through last season and we didn't take it up. And then, you know, they've taken up their, their two seats this season. But I think I've seen quite a few people comment, oh, well, it's not as bad as in, you know, and then insert either Glen Roder or, or Chris Hutton's name here, you know, in terms of, oh, look, isn't it awful? wasn't it awful back then and it isn't as bad as it was that you know and I just I get that argument but what I can't put my finger on is why it feels like this at the moment why there is this creeping sense of people just stopping caring and that's surely that's more dangerous than 
when people were getting angry about Dean Smith and saying, you know, what his brand of football was, which they were bang right about, um, the apathy is way more dangerous to this football club because if people just walk away and they feel apathetic about the situation, they're so less likely to come back to it when, you know, some better times return. And that's the the concern for me is that they we are maybe turning off not only some diehard fans, because I've spoken to a couple of people who, similar in your boat, were just like, yeah, do you know what? I don't, I'm not sure that I can anymore because I just don't, you know, I don't care about it as much. And these are people that have been going for, for decades. But also their children, you know, and the younger fans, because increasingly at, at Norwich, it, you know, it is a club that the younger supporters aren't, aren't coming through as much. I just I wonder whether we will return. You know, we will struggle to to fill this football ground in the next couple of seasons if things don't get significantly better. And then all this talk of you know some kind of grand master plan to redevelop Carroll Road and turn it into thirty five thousand capacity or whatever the aspiration is, it's just pie in the sky. It's it's just not even worth entertaining because there will be no return on investment. And I wonder how much the club are tapped into that and whether right now every season there has probably just been an expectation well we'll easily shift 20,000 22,000 season tickets because that's what people do around here and I don't, just don't think it's going to happen this season I think they will probably see like a maybe a 3,000 drop off and there ain't 3,000 people on the waiting list is there you know so and it's no, not like you they, can incentivize people to get on the waiting list because you've already got people loyal you know loyal supporters that have paid hard-earned money and and then you look at the average match day ticket as well and it's not cheap anymore well that's the, they've got to look at I mean the, the fact that they're they're um you know floating a three percent rise with the supporters panel um you know we're already more expensive than four premier league clubs you we're know, already more expensive than the whole division exactly like, well, so, yeah, and and up up four up four clubs in the premier league where at least and the it wouldn't opposition surprise me if it's more than that like, no, it's, so, uh, well, no it's, it's four so the point is you even if even if they're in horrible grounds and there are a couple of horrible grounds in the premier league at least the opposition you're going to get you know every other week is going to be worth watching even if you're rubbish mm. and you know it's you know, they really have to look at that. This is not the time, you know, this is not the time to to ask people to spend even more money on a product that is that has been so consistently inconsistent, particularly at home. And I think that's the thing. That's the thing they've got to get right in their messaging over the next six weeks is if the results, because what it shows is we're second in the form table. But the reason that we felt those feelings and cared that much about Saturday was tradition and history and pride and geography and tribal allegiances, right? It wasn't because we were second in the form table and we were riding a rave of Wagner's, Wagner's army. Do you know what I mean? Like it wasn't like yeah, yeah. It wasn't like under Lambert or under Farker where you know we we have we'll run through a brick wall for this bloke. Now we keep saying and we've been saying this throughout all of our criticism. He seems like a lovely man. He seems to really get the area. Mm-hmm. He seems to really love the community better than some of our previous numpties that have been manager of this football club. He, he genuinely seems to fit the bill outside of maybe getting us playing football that we like. Like I thought the way that he handled the derby was terrific. I thought everything he said was important. How he, you know, he, 
there are so many people who try and say things like, oh, it's just another game. It's worth the same three points. We know it's important to the fans, but we need to stay professional. Nah, he lent right into it and said, no, I've said to the players, I asked them who put up their hands and who's been part of this. You need to now talk to the others about why this is important. This isn't like another game. You do have to raise your level. And I thought the players repaid him back for that. And obviously, no, he's using the press conference. There's a new podcast that uh, our friend Dave Carolan uh, has started doing with Gary Rabbit, uh, Breaking the Lines. And um, one of their first episodes, they talked about the uses of, of, of press conferences and how it's now normal to try and get feed. Uh, obviously, Ferguson was the master of this. Mourinho has been doing it for years. But now at every level of football, you try and get your message out to the fans via press conferences. Um, and But I, I feel that the players backed up they behaved in a way that seems to me that that wasn't just a press conference performance. Actually, that was the way that they'd approached the game and the way they, they were considering the game. One thing I do want to talk about with you, because we are both, you know, Delia defenders and always have been, um, because we, we, we sort of see through the, where's the money gone? Um, you know, you know, she's taken all the money. She just needs to step aside and, 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 and sell it to all of the 15 people queuing up to buy it and pump millions of pounds in. We've always defended her. I am really concerned by the, and it's part of this conversation around the club need to be attuned to the fact that 3,000 people might say no thanks in February. The The comments at the AGM does not suggest that the club are aware that actually it's not a small minority who are unhappy. And and she, I, I, I'm, you know, I will defend Delia whatever happens because of the the amount of time she has called things right, put the right people in charge, put the wrong people in charge for the right reasons. And, and there's, there's, you know, can, can forgive all of that, but she's miles off on, on, on the idea that, that there's a minority who, would, who are, who are, who have got quibbles with, with the football club. I don't. Yeah. Okay. So I, I think if we took that quote, the 20% quote in isolation, I think there's many different ways that you can skin that. And I think that the way the majority of the fan base have chosen to skin that is it's only 20% that are pissed off with how it is right now. And I think what Delia, Michael, you know, whoever it is at the football club has maybe tried to articulate in the, oh, it's 20% whingers, is it is probably around about 20% of people that actively will go out and whinge at any one time. And they may be, you know, divorcees from the snake pit or whatever. But I think that 80% of the crowd will either sit on their hands or will get behind the team. I, I think that's what she was trying to articulate. Um, but, you know, the people saying you know, that they, they kind of felt an increasing sense of division and, and there was almost an entitlement and they didn't know what was going on. But she also mentioned in that interview, and I think Michael might have touched on it as well, that she'll go in the Lion and Castle after most games. And actually, I was in there after the Preston game. She was in there. She was actively engaging with supporters. Um, you know, I said hello. She asked me, you know, kind of how the... How, she went, oh, that was a bit better, wasn't it? And I kind of made a face like, not really, you know, like in, in the final third. But, you know, she wanted... She loves, you know, you know... Delia mm -hmm. and Michael love talking about football with yep. Norwich City fans. So I think that some of that is taken out of context and some of it is actually there are 15, 20% of our supporters that do not necessarily enjoy, but the way in which they show their displeasure or angst or whatever it might be is that that they will berate people or, or get onto it. And there have been lots of times this season 
where you can't blame them because it has been pretty shit and it's dire and there's just a feeling of almost of dread you know like you know when you turn up there it's like why going back to your point about you know why do I do this to myself all the time you know sometimes it is out of blind loyalty and also sometimes it's just because I like to have a nice day out with with my daughters and you know and, and the football is is a part of that but I think I think some of which of some of the content that she put out there was right but I think the way in which it has been perceived and also go back to fair play to Connor from the pink and for asking the question in the way that he did. I think the way that it's been perceived has been, all right, well, it's only 20% of people that are pissed off. And I would really, really like to think that that's not the perception within the football club, because if it is, it's dangerous. It's really dangerous. Uh, Norwich is a nice fan base that will not, quickly turn and will not quickly really get onto people and that and you mentioned about Wagner's personality and all the rest of it it's probably he's been afforded a lot more time than maybe Dean Smith to be fair because of the the way that he's actively engaged with the fan base but to suggest that it would be 20% of people that are pissed off and the the other 80% are people who are just fine with everything and it's all tickety-boo would would be quite the the assumption to make so I, I don't think it's that I just think it sometimes is in the messaging look we've been here before there's been interviews with you know the times a couple of times where their quotes have either been taken out of context or they've said things that maybe do you know what like with the benefit of hindsight they might have thought about rephrasing but I think it's come across to people like they might be out of touch with the feelings in the fan base and I just I don't think that that's the case. I do think they are attuned to things. I I just think that they are hardened to some of this and they have been through this before. And sometimes you've just got to play it with a bit of a straight bat and and just see it out. And look, our, our supporters are way better than some of the dickheads that pretty much accosted them as they arrived at Portman Road on yeah, Saturday. And, and, you know, and so I think you know we should. There's a brilliant article on on the website today that Nathan Hill has has written, which has put that into stark contrast. Um, I know it's it's not the majority of Ipswich fans, but it's pretty disgusting behaviour when you think that's two people in their eighties, you know, and, and Ben as well, their driver, you know, that the way in which they were treated was disgusting. And I think, you know, it's it's a sad indictment of of sometimes where they're well, where the Ipswich's fan base go. But anyway, I'm I'm blathering, but I think the point is that I don't genuinely don't believe that the way in which that quote has been taken and embellished a little bit was the intention behind it because they are supporters like like you and I you know they, they will be the first to say that you know look they they hand their football club or you know our football club over to people that are experts in how it should be run and they trust them to do it and i guess my only worry is maybe that some of what was said felt a little bit Stuart Weber-esque. And I think the longer he's away from this football club, probably the better in terms of the acoustics, in terms of what's coming out. And and one minor point on that, and this is just really to highlight it because actually I was really pleased that it happened. But yesterday at the Nest, Ben Napper is in in attendance, you know, watching the women's team. And this is part of this full audit but you're like that's 
miles away. Stuart Webber never, to my knowledge anyway, attended a match at the nest. I'm sure he's been up the nest. You know, well, he was busy. Events, but... He was busy, um, like giving up food at home and shelters, wasn't he? Every time they played. Yeah, yeah, obviously. Yeah, that's that's definitely what he was up to. Look, Stuart, Stuart Webber was a very busy man um, who worked incredibly hard for this football club. I don't think we've had a, a massive debrief on him since he left. And I think there's, you know, look, that is a really complex story, which is something that we could probably pour over for a lot longer than we've got for, for this particular pod. But it just felt really right, actually, that, that the sporting director was like, no, he's assuming responsibility for both you know the men's and the women's team and you like to think now that he is going to take some of the really excellent practice that he's seen at Arsenal Football Club and then put a bit of that into to Norwich City Football Club and and hopefully you know completely professionalize the operation um you know kind of in in a number of different ways well commercially so, it makes perfect sense to be aiming to be um you know to be playing in the Premier League equivalent of the women's game because if if we're able to do that, if we're able to have like a inverted commas proper, fully professional, competitive female um, team, then that pumps more funds into the overall football club. There's more fans that might go to both the men's and the women's games. Um, you know, it's not going to be difficult to get people to come and watch um, at the nest if they are playing a higher and higher and higher standard of, of opposition. Yeah. Um, and and that is that can only be a good thing for the community, the area, and the fact that football. You know, you, you said a great phrase earlier in terms. Of that's what people do around here. Whether that be um, the men's team, whether that be the women's team, the point is it would be great for that to continue growing and commercially. He he should be being given. Like, this was the weird thing with Weber's comments about it as well. It's like this is a growing commercial arm of the club. Of all of the, you know, it's, it's you have to fight tooth and nail the men's team to add half a percent in terms of like growth or revenue based on what you've done previously. Um, you know, we always used to joke with Ben Kensel about this, that, you know, he would, you know, he would put sponsorship on the, on kind of the hand dries in the toilets if he could, like he, he, you know, he really did yeah, yeah. ring out everything. Else and Kara road is a night, like was a night under him, like literally just slap it on. Absolutely. Yeah. So it like it's so hard to make more money. Whereas in the women's game, that is you know, the ceiling in terms of, potential growth commercially that you can have within that team is 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 massively untapped mm. um so yeah just just one more thing on one more thing i want to talk about in terms of current and looking back prior to, to looking ahead to the to christmas fixtures is um johnny Rowe. we, we can't let this 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 kind of opportunity to praise him go miss now he hardly had a kick i think it was his eighth touch he scored the first goal with you know he just wasn't involved but he is having the sort of season, and obviously, the he obviously now goes down in Norwich Law as someone who scored a double on Derby Day. But there isn't. I've always had this thing about um, it's important who scores the goals in terms of how that affects the team, how that affects the fans, how that affects your approach to the rest of the game. I think it was important the equaliser was scored by Johnny Rowe because it was like well, he's he's effectively our current talisman, really. You know, he's the guy that's in form. He's the guy that we feel would get into most other most other 11s, him and Sarah. Um, and so you think, OK, if anyone's going to score, we want it to be you. And the fact that he got them both and the fact that they were both, one had a slice of luck, one had a hilarious VAR offside lines be drawn by uh, by salty fans uh, from, from down south, scummers over the weekend. Did that happen? Did they actually do that on social media? Of course they did. Media. They got their crayons out there, but obviously they have blue crayons as well. <laughs> pathetic, pathetic excuse for a fan base. Um, and anyway, we've got um, 
we've got him and we're proud of him and he's from the academy and he is a, a real talent because even on an off day when he's hard to get in the ball, he scores two derby goals. And I think we've just got to give praise to someone who is putting together one hell of a breakthrough season. I also think as well that, yeah, you're right. He didn't have the best of games. He barely got a touch in terms of attacking output short of his, his two goals. There's barely anything there. It was on El Hernandez-esque, you know, kind of aside from the, the two goals. But he backed it up because he'd given it the big one on social yeah, media love that. before that. And then, you know, to actively be shushing the Ipswich fans after both goals, I was like, yeah, okay, you are winning yourself a lot more fans, you know, kind of as, as a result of this. And Statue he's quite he's quite easy to love, I think, isn't he? You know, obviously he's he's a youth product. He's come through. But I think there's a whole backstory, which I, I hope the club will tell at some point in some detail. And I hope that he will be um, candid enough to share with supporters. But look, we know from, from speaking to, to people um, around it that he's had a really difficult upbringing that, you know, maybe maybe even up until recently, you know, kind of this breakthrough season that, you know, this hasn't been the, the easiest time for him. And, and maybe the club have had to nurture him in a way that is different to, to say your typical lad who'd been you know honed through academies from the age of nine or ten you know this this was a lad who's who's had a a really tricky start in life and he seems like he's pretty humble about the whole situation at the moment he seems like he's absolutely loving it and he seems like he really enjoys being part of of this football club and this football team and that shouldn't be underestimated. And we go back to Wagner and the, the the kind of charm offensive that he did with supporters, which has maybe bought him a little more time. The players still seem like they're they're keen on him. That you know, when you yeah, look at do. that that celebration between Wagner and Ida and then the bundle, you know, at Ashton Gate. Yeah, it, they're they're the kind of moments that had that in, having you know kind of included Daniel Farker, shall we say? You know, yeah. like, like we have to mention him sometimes on this podcast. Um, people would have gone absolutely nuts for it. They would have devoured that kind of content. So, well, to be honest, I did because the thing is, I, I love Norwich winning. I love late winners, and I I like as a as a human being and as being the manager of our club. I like David Wagner. You know, I yeah, I, 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 got, I, I like I've got him no a issues lot. with him as a bloke, and I, he says I. And this is the massive, massive difference between him and your Rhodes, your Smiths, uh, your Hutons. Um, I don't cringe during any of his press conferences. He doesn't he come it. out and say, I thought that was a brilliant performance when it wasn't. You know, he doesn't come out and say ridiculous things that you know are just patently untrue. I you don't know. know. He, Re- recently, he's come out and said a couple of things where I'm like, mate, you're watching a different game. But that's when it was really bad. Know. And it was like, know. actually, he kind of had to to say something because he couldn't have just gone. Yeah. yeah cheers, Paddy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, like, he, he couldn't. You know, he had to draw some positives. And that, some of that is, you know, you say about using presses for messaging and, you know, the, and the, the fans and, and playing squad, you know, kind of listen into that. But I think it's clearly taken a bit of a toll on him as well, you know, in terms of this pressure, because I looked at him and obviously he was pensive and he was probably mm. anxious on Saturday. He was I looked anxious. At him I couldn't sit Saturday, down for the whole game. But he looked like an older man on yeah, Saturday. Whereas actually, if you look at him when he first joined the football club, spirited, youthful, smiley, that wasn't him on Saturday. He looked like he'd aged about five to 10 years in the space of what he's been at this football club, like 13 months, something like that. So, I do, you know, I enjoy it when he's he gets results because 
actually he's quite easy to like you know a bit like Johnny Rowe you were just making that point but yeah to go full circle Johnny Rowe clearly likes playing for David Wagner as well and and we can go back to one of David Wagner's first acts as the head coach of this football club which if you go back on the video was I think to actually tweak Johnny Rowe's nipples at Colney for some (laughs) unknown reason just like we need you fit and then he seemed to tweak his nipples I was like so (laughs) those lads for some reason have some kind of weird bond and I am here for it yeah the um yeah that winner at Ashton Gate came just after uh, I declared that Ida doesn't score difficult goals um and you know I mean, we, we never say anything other than we don't know what we're talking about. We, we've mm-hmm. never from podcast one suggested we have any kind of skill to be doing the thing that we're doing right now. But um, wow, what what an immediate answer. That was such a fantastic strength, power, pace, speed, positioning. He had to get it all right in order to get the finish right. And fantastic. Um, I do think he's, you know, he's missed a couple of absolute sitters since then. But it's important to point out when you when you are proved wrong, and he, that very much did did prove prove that point wrong. I we need to see a lot more of it, but it's great that he has got it in his locker, and he did seem to be playing with a bit more confidence. For example, some of his hold up play in the tiny little glimpses of passages of play we had on Saturday, he did have a couple of nice takedowns, and he clearly is strong when he gets his positioning right. Um, I think as also to add to that. If you're going to dip out one striker right now from the current, you know, kind of two that are up there, be Ashley Barnes. Ashley Barnes was quite poor on Saturday, actually, well, if we're talking about overall performances. But Ida, his his touch looks a lot better. His confidence looks a lot better. His his athleticism and strength, he seems to be trying to impose himself a bit more. So it does look like at Colney, they're, they're maybe starting to mould him into the player that that we hoped he might be. And if he if he can just add a few goals to that, then yeah, I don't know. Ida and Sarge up front, I'll take that. So um, Norwich are tenth in the table, uh, unbeaten in the last four, and obviously only one loss in the last what's it six seven now, um, and only two points now away from seventh. Um, so you, you know, used for, to make that sixth, didn't you? Now you're saying seventh. Well, no, because because basically I'm just saying that you know there is a real sandwich of teams. Um, because because also we're only two points above uh, 14th so your point about us being between 10th and 16th as a squad but um you know the the games coming up um the christmas period is often you know uh important and sets you up for a good start to the year and um we've got a real feast or famine in terms of league position coming up you know we, we face huddersfield and millwall who are both really struggling uh but we've also within that got two of the playoff teams west brom and and, and southampton um, before uh, before an FA Cup trip to Bristol Rovers, sorry, before we host Bristol Rovers in the FA Cup, um, and then Hull City, again, another playoff team. Then West Brom, one of those weird quirks where you sometimes play someone for the first time, then you play them again quite quickly. For example, I saw that Scum have got Leicester twice in, in five weeks as well. Um, and then we have Leeds. Um, who, who, you know, So we basically, one, two, three... Uh, four, five. So five of the next eight or nine games are against teams currently in the playoffs. So, you know, whilst I think we're likely to have a decent Christmas period, because I think we'll have too much probably for Huddersfield and, and for Millwall, um, West Brom is tricky. Southampton's very tricky. Um, so let's say we split over that period. The, the, the following ones coming up against Hull and, and Leeds, you know, and then West Brom again, you can easily see um, depending on Sargent's timing and, and how much of an impact he can make when he does come back, you can easily see 
a four or five game winless period coming. And that might be when they, when they twist. Maybe um, that's when he's finished his audit. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it's, you'd love it not to be the case. You'd love us to keep picking up results. You'd love us oh, to, yeah. to, 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 to start to, to, to play with, you know, there is no reason for the players not to have confidence based on, because results drive confidence more than performances do. You know, when your team is doing the, is losing unluckily two or three times in a row, you'll hear managers say, well, no, there's lots of positives to take from today. And I'm hoping that will give the lads confidence that we've played really well today. We can do that again next weekend. No, the lads will take far more confidence from the fact that we won today. Three points makes you feel like you're a good team. Um, and going up the table makes you feel like you're a good team. And yes, there is some positives to take from good build-up play and creating lots of chances. Um, but, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm hopeful because of all the things we've said about Wagner that I, I don't understand why they didn't get rid of him. But I'm, I'm fascinated to see whether or not he can be the first ever manager that I'm aware of, especially from a Norwich point of view, that once, once the kind of booze and the you don't know what you're doing chance start, can genuinely then have like a second chapter of more good feeling than, than ill feeling. Like, you know, no, no manager lasts forever, but at the same time, can he have another 18 months at the club? Because actually he does manage to have a kind of rebirth in January and, and gets playing good football again. He seems like one of the nicest guys possible that could do that. And and maybe, maybe he becomes the yardstick to which future managers who are struggling is compared. We basically say, well, remember you know, in a few years time, you might say, remember Wagner, would have been sacked if he wasn't so brilliant at playing you know, the fan communication element and, and being such a decent, thorough, thoroughly great guy that bought him the time to then kind of reset, find a new philosophy and go again. Who knows? I mean, that's me being very, very cup half full after a positive result of the weekend. But wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. I mean, that'd be lovely. Uh, I can't see it happening. I think the the group of games that you highlight there in, against playoff chasers or, you know, maybe even automatic promotion chasers in, in Leeds and Southampton, that's the real litmus test, and and I think if we go five or six games without a victory, um, I think that not necessarily the crowd is ready to turn again, but it might just be the body of evidence that is required, as you say, to to make a change. Well, no shows like, against it, Daniel and, and Russ will be particularly painful for the for the board to swallow. Yeah, increasingly, it just feels like we need to write off this season, um, but then. <laughs> Because I just don't, I can't see us making an assault on the playoffs at all. I know you, you'll be way more optimistic than that, but I just, I just can't see with everything that we've encountered thus far. I don't see evidence to suggest that 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 would be possible or probable. Well, it's possible, but not probable. So it's almost like right. Well, it's the great reset again, isn't it? And we need to change the age profile of the squad, and we probably need to change the head coach. And all of that doesn't get done in one one or two transfer windows. So we're in it for the long haul. Um, and I just can't see how that can be David Wagner. I don't see that as anywhere near enough evidence that that he's the man to, to do that because he's kind of been given that opportunity and he plumped for short-termism. And if you plump for that, then you've got to get the results. Yeah, he might have been the face for short-termism because maybe Weber was pushing for short-termism knowing himself that his tenure maybe, at the yeah. club was going to be short-term. And that might be, again, depending on if he's still here, that audit that we know Napa's doing, be interesting to see how public any elements of that is made. Be interesting to see whether or not he says, 
in the audit, I want to highlight these three talking points and go to the local press with it um, and explain to, to, to the players that I think these are the areas of strength we need to build upon and these are the areas of weakness we need to address. Um, he's not going to slag off the age of the squad in public halfway through a season. Um, he's not going to say we need to remodel the, the age of the squad massively too publicly. He can allude to it. Um, but yeah, it will be interesting to see what happens in January as to whether or not we try and shift one in or shift or you know shift two out uh, in order to rebuild for next year. You know, if 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 we take a Sara and a row offer, if one come in, then all of a sudden that makes it clear that Napa's intentions are rebuild and remodel. Mm-hmm. Whereas if if we you know try and find a, a defensive guy, I tell you who I really like the look of, and that was um, Will Vox, uh, the Sheffield Wednesday number four. I thought he had a super. I thought he was the best player on the pitch in the Sheffield. We were linked game. to him some time ago, weren't we? Were we? I, I mean, I I thought in terms of someone to play alongside Sarah or or Kenny or Nunez, he looked like exactly what we're missing, and it makes me again think about Forshaw. Like again, that's a, yet another attempt at that. It's just position a weird one that just, just seems a, to just have a, not worked yeah. out at all. He's got next to no. He's not even coming. Like he's the ideal person in theory to come in on Saturday, but he preferred mm-hmm. Tony Springett. It's oh, it must be he those must subs. Be I mean, I know we're we're bouncing around, but those subs were baffling. Like, if you bring Tony Springer and Poeta on as as a, your new left side to see out a game, and look, we saw out the game. So I'm, this isn't me grumbling, but it's just me going, "Whoa!" Like, is that is a, a really a, a damning assessment of well, I thought where I, this I, squad is at. I I understood. I can see the logic of Poeta in the um there was you know the was it the Coventry game where he he broke forward and put the ball across for Ida to score like the, the goal that kind of put the icing on but the we cake. were increasingly looking to defend it and he's not a defender like that that was the bit for no, me no, like no, spring I, it I could probably see more because actually he no, I, he would I, probably I, be a I'm bit just more trying to, I, the, the logic I had on it was what Hernandez did very well was he was an outlet and Chris Sutton almost made a joke well he did make a joke of it in the commentary saying um you know, Norwich's only outlet seems to be Hernandez needs to dribble the entire length of the pitch. I was like, yeah, I, I think that's the plan. <laughs> I think yeah. that is exactly what they're hoping is going to happen. And I think maybe he tried to do that on the left-hand side as well, basically saying we've now got an outlet. If, if there's any chance of us getting a third, it is going to be a breakaway. So I'm going to put the two lads who can run the fastest to hopefully get there and maybe one of the tired lads can get up there and knock it in. But, you know, taking Barnes, take, keeping Barnes on and, and taking Eder off, I thought was strange again. You don't know if there's been a knock... Look, we got the result we wanted. I am, I'm, it might just be because it's the time of year and it might just be because he's a lovely guy. I, I don't know why he managed to keep his job when the form was so bad. I don't think the playing form has got any better, but the results suggest that there is definitely a team working for him, playing for him. They are celebrating the goals hard. I mean, they are celebrating the goals like we yeah. are in the top three. They are celebrating clean sheets. You know, um, you know, they are celebrating you know, big saves and, and there does seem to be a real togetherness in the team, which again, when you compare, and that's the sort of thing that Napper is seeing when he's walking around the building with no one else watching. If, if, you know, and Barnes coming out and saying, you know, it's us that have got to take responsibility and McLean really push it, banging the, the responsibility drum when they were losing. I, I do wonder, I do wonder how much that is having an effect. Maybe unlike your, your, your previous people, you know, Alex Neal and, Hewton and, and others we know lost the dressing room because you know that came out before they even left each time maybe just gen- genuinely he is they are a cohesive unit they are together and and that means that until 
until it does, until it is three defeats on the spin or four defeats from five, he's going to remain safe. And if that's the case, we can only hope that the points keep getting collected and the, the small snippets of decent football we play continue to expand. But anyway, it is the new Christmas. So I wish you a very happy Christmas, John. Thank um, you, sir. I and wish you. you a very happy and healthy new year to all of your um, multiple children and your singular wife. Um, and <laughs> listeners, thank you for joining us for another year of Wittering On. Uh, this has been the Christmas special. Uh, I have been Tom. This has been Punt. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. And mind how you go.